Well, good morning, church. It is awesome to see you guys here. We are continuing a series called Modern Day Idols. And um, today, I'm just going to tell you what we're talking about. Today, we're talking about the idol of relationships. Now, uh, let's just go ahead and say I, relationships are a big deal. Like, they're like what the make, makes the world go round. And, and uh, they're, they're not only a part of every bio on social media, uh, our status, single, married, dating, whatever. More importantly, they're just a huge part of our life. Relationships are important. But I think that could be twisted and even manipulated in, in an in a unhealthy way where we think if I have someone, I am someone, or if I'm accepted by this group, then I can really be happy or satisfied in my life. So let me just stop right here and say again, relationships are good. In fact, God wired us for intimate relationship with each other. When he made Adam and Adam was alone, he said, it is not good for man to be alone. It is not good to not have community and relationships where you're intimately known and you know other people. You heard Corey already talk about the value of small groups. We really believe, man, we were created to live in community with one another. We need each other and relationships are so vital to this life. In fact, if you haven't found a group, can I just challenge you today to take a step towards a group today because they're that important. You say, well, if that's true, how how is a relationship an idol? It's all about the place it takes in your life. And like all the the modern-day idols we're going to look at, what, what really it is is it's a good thing that ends up in the wrong place. When you have an idol, when I have an idol in my life, it is a good thing that ends up in the wrong place. In fact, just to illustrate that, I'm going to give you a a picture here. It is uh, obviously an Olympic podium, and you got the the gold in the middle and the the silver and then the bronze. And and we all know that first place is that center in any where you've reached the pinnacle, and that is the number one spot. And anytime you and I find ourselves where something other than God is at the gold medal level, it is in the center stage, it is in the first place of our heart and our desires and our thoughts and our passions, if something else moves into the top spot and God gets pushed down to second or pushed down to third, then we can be sure there is an idol in our life. I think most Christians in our country say, you know, God first, family second, something else third. But the reality is oftentimes those spoken priorities aren't the actual priorities of our heart. C.S. Lewis said in his, in his writing, The Great Divorce, he said, human beings can't really make the other, someone else happy for very long. And what he's saying is simply this. There is no bond, there is no group of people, there is no person on this earth, there is nothing on this earth that can really satisfy us that ought to take the first place in our life because eventually it fails us and falls short. There is only one who takes first place. There's only one. So today, all we're going to focus on this morning is where is God on your podium and where are the relationships of your life on this podium for you? And so to, to do that, we're going to look at the poster child for this problem, and his name's Samson. Uh, Samson had a serious idol of relationship. So we're going to start in the book of Judges, chapter 13. If you have your Bible, you can follow along. The verses will be on the screen. 
And it says this, a woman gave birth to a boy and named him Samson. And he grew and the Lord blessed him and the spirit of Ish began to stir him while he was in Manea Dan between Zorah and Ishtol. I didn't read it, but previously an angel of the Lord had visited this family and said, you're going to have a son, and he's not going to be like any son. He's going to be a special son, and we're going to have him to take a Nazarene vow where, among other things, he's not going to have a touch of alcohol, he's not going to cut his hair, and he's going to be devoted to God and have a special purpose of God in his life, a special calling in his life for him. And so his parents ordered his life around God and and was growing him up in the favor of God. And and God was first on the podium of this family's life and everything else was second. And God was pleased with that and he was stirring in in Samson and God God was moving in his life. It's a really great start to the story. Before we move on, I want you to notice where he grew up. And I I hadn't really noticed this in other times reading it, but uh, when you look at the two cities that uh, Samson and his family grew up, he grew up between two of the tribes of Israel, right on the border between the tribe of Dan and the tribe of Judah. The tribe of Dan had not such a good reputation, and the tribe of Judah had a spectacular reputation. And the tribe of Judah was the people who, along with the Levites, were the most dedicated to God and had ordered God number one in their lives in following him. Dan, not so much. And so I want to take us all the way back to Genesis where where this father, Jacob, or his name was also Israel, he gathers these 12 boys of his together and he's literally on his deathbed and he wants to give a blessing to his sons before he dies from the Lord. This was prophetic. It's in our scripture. And he wants to give a blessing to each one of those boys. So he gathers them around and this is what he tells Judah, the tribe of Judah. Judah, your brothers will praise you. Your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. Whoa. Your father's sons will bow down to you. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff between his feet, until he, listen to this, till he to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of the nations shall be his. He's making a reference to Jesus. The he in this verse right here is talking about Jesus. And what I love about this is literally from Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve fell short of God's perfection and made choices that displeased God and enacted in rebellion to God. In Genesis 3, God says he will come who will crush Satan's work and he'll defeat the enemy's work on this moment and I will again redeem a people back to myself. In all, I mean, he's going to restore all things. There's one coming in this passage who's going to finally rule in righteousness for forever. He's talking about Jesus from the line of Judah. He's known as the, the Lion of Judah. Then he says to this to Dan. Uh, Dan will produce justice for his people as one of the tribes of Judah. Okay, not bad. Dan will be a snake by the roadside, a viper along the path, that bites the horse's heels so that its riders tumble backward. Can you imagine Dan in that moment? He's like, uh, thanks, Dad. I uh, <laughs> appreciate that vote of confidence, you know. Uh, it's pretty harsh. Like his dad, his dad's speaking prophetically that you are not going to be the son of promise. 
But see, you have to understand, he was speaking God's words about Dan because Dan, along with all the other tribes, was given a section of the promised land when God led them out of Egypt and they wandered in the desert and then they're finally entering into the promised land. They gave certain sections of the land for each tribe to dwell in and to, to prosper and to settle and to drive out their enemies. And Dan was given this area, but instead of following God and doing his work, they became weaker and weaker, and the people of that land actually oppressed them and drove them into the mountains of their region. And when Samson steps on the scene, Dan is a weak tribe. After Samson's life, you know what Dan decides? We don't really like this land that God has given us. We don't really like this portion. So we're going to move to a different part of Israel. We're going to resettle in a place, not where God said we should be, but where we think we should be. And then not much after that, that tribe is found doing idol worship and not following God, but following the pagan people of that place. That's the legacy of Dan. Judah... That's the tribe of kings, David, Solomon, Jesus. And so I want you to picture this. Samson and his family is literally living on the border between two tribes. Symbolically, I think this really matters that he's saying, listen, there's a way that is following God's path where God goes first and that it's God's way and it's his way and we follow his ways because we know it's what's best. And he's also living on the other tribe's land that says, follow your own way. Samson grows up right on the fence between those two tribes. Samson grows up on the fence, if you will, between those two thoughts and ways of life. Kind of like we do, right? Where we know in our heart, man, God's way is the best way. And when I follow his paths, it turns out really great for me. And, and I can trust him and he's faithful and he's, and he's good to me. And yet something in us still wants to try our own way and do our own thing. And so we, we've, we go back and forth from following God and following ourselves and following God and following ourselves. See, very few of us give ourselves fully to an idol, right? Those people end up on cops, you know? That's <laughs> Most of us live on the fence. Most of us say, Man, I know what's right and I know what God says, but there's something in me that's, that's pulling me away from what I know is good and I know is true and I know is best. And instead of choosing God's way, I want to try it my way. I want to do things on my turn and not here. My land, I want to do it the way I want it because my heart is here and not here. And so we dabble a little bit in this and we dabble a little bit in that. You know, that is literally the story of Samson's life, just like many of us. And I want to take you just to two scenes historically from Samson's life to illustrate this. And so we're going to go to chapter 14 of, of, of Judges, and it says this, Samson went down to Timnah, and he saw a young Philistine woman. When he returned, he said to his father and mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her, go and get her as a wife. His father and his mother replied, isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among your people? Most of you, uh, must you go to the uncircumcised Philistine to get a wife? But Samson said to his father, get her for me. She's the right one for me. 
Now understand something. In, in Deuteronomy chapter 7, the Jewish people were forbidden to marry anyone outside of their own 12 tribes. They were not to intermarry with the other people of the foreign land they were going into. Yeah, it's actually Deuteronomy 7, 3, and 4. And it's not because God says we can't marry across race. That's not the issue. It's not about color. It's not about race. It's not about any other things. God has no problem with that. And he goes on to say, and you can read it for yourself in Deuteronomy, he says, listen, because when you marry the people of these other, of these other peoples, they will lead your children astray and away from God. See, what God has a problem is with us marrying people of opposite convictions of us. In fact, he carries that theme in the New Testament in 2 Corinthians. He says, a believer should not be yoked with an unbeliever. Like he makes it super clear, like you, you don't want to give up on your convictions. Followers of God are to marry followers of God. And so his parents remind him of this. He said, wait, 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 wait. Remember the Nazarene vow. Remember God's purpose for your life. Remember who God's made you. Remember you're a child of God. You're a follower of God. And and God says we're not to marry people outside the faith. Samson, don't you remember? And he says, yeah, 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 I've heard all that. I still want what I want. I've seen her and I gotta have her. And back in that day, you had to get the parents involved to get married. I still think that's a pretty good idea. What do y'all think? It's pretty good, right? (laughs) So he's asking, hey, make this happen, Dad. But see, an idol will cause us to compromise what we know is right and true and best about ourselves. An idol will cause us to diminish what God says and lower what God says and elevate what we feel and elevate what we want so they become disproportionate with one another. Listen, can I tell you plainly, if you, if you ever think God is leading you to contradict anything he says in this scripture, you're being deceived. If God ever causes you to think, hey, I'm a special case and I've got a special arrangement with God and I know what this says, but I still want what I want. I'm gonna do with it and I still think God's gonna bless it. You're being and I'm being deceived. It's not true. See, God isn't telling you to compromise yourself sexually to get into a relationship or to keep a relationship. God says, I want a pure and holy people. God isn't telling you that you should marry someone who isn't a follower of Jesus Christ. If you're a follower of this, I'm not telling you to do that. I just read it. I just, God's very clear on the subject. Listen, if you think God's telling you, you can lower your standards or or try to hide your faith or, or, or become less than what he's calling you to be in order to be accepted by a group of friends at school or, or somewhere else. Listen, I'm just telling you, he's not asking you to do that. And I, I promise you, God isn't saying, look, and you, can, you can act this way and be a certain way around these people and then act differently at church or in your home around this other group of, of people. He's not telling you to do that. See, idol worship means we continually live on the fence, unsettled inter- inside and totally weary from the struggle. What do I mean by that? Pop the... Uh, the yeah, the stand back up. It is exhausting 
to put God in the center stage on the first place and then to remove him and put yourself. It is exhausting to put him up and back down and that person goes number one and then back down. Oh no, now this person, now this group of people, now myself, now something else and this is what I want and that's what I want and to continually move him and, and, and uh, other things back up and down the podium of what is most important. It's exhausting and it's costly. It's costly. It's going to cause you to live in conflict with yourself and really lose a sense of what yourself is. And what I mean by that, here's your blank, is the idol relationship will cost you your person. It'll cost you your identity. You won't really know who you are. Let's think about Samson for a second. He had a very clear identity given to him at birth. He was a follower of God. He was a chosen one of God. He was a Nazarene. He was set apart for the purpose of God. He didn't lack identity. His parents taught him his identity. The word of God affirmed his identity. He had everything going from, he could have been completely satisfied in who God had made him, yet he chose, listen, instead of choosing that to be my identity, I'm gonna remove that from number one and I'm gonna put someone else at the top. Someone else is going to try to tell me who I am. Someone else is going to try to give me worth. Someone else is going to try to make me feel complete inside. Instead of being satisfied in who God has made us, listen, as a Christ follower, you've got an incredible identity and you don't need anyone else to add to it. Do you realize that you are a son and daughter of the most high God? You are a son and daughter of the living God. That you are a son or daughter of the creator of this place. You are a son and daughter of the sustainer of all things. This place, this earth isn't going to wear out until he says so. You are a a son or daughter of the savior of the world. He who would come and who's going to rule the nations in justice, you're his son or daughter. You and I don't lack identity. We found all we would ever need in him. So why in the world do we want to try to put someone else in a place they could never live up to that? They'll never satisfy you like him. And they'll never tell you who you are like God can. That's the first scene. The second scene I want you to see, I'm actually going to kind of lead into this, is I want you to see that Samson had a good run, okay? Uh, and it said this uh, in chapter 15. It said, Samson led Israel for 20 years in the days of the Philistines. So, so Samson had this purpose that God had given him, that he would be this deliverer. The whole book of Judges is the people of God uh, fell in rebellion and didn't follow his ways and didn't practice what they knew they were supposed to be practicing. They said, we're going to do it our way instead of God's way. And so God to discipline them, would send an oppressor, one of these other people who would rule over them and make their lives miserable. And they'd realize, oh man, we've blown it and we did it again. And so they call out to God and God would raise up a deliverer, someone like Samson, who would free them from the oppression and the evil of these, of these other people. And they would enjoy a season of following God until they got comfortable, until something else took first place. And they slipped right back. Sounds like a familiar pattern, doesn't it? Does your life, like my life, sometimes follow that pattern? Maybe it's just me. Second scene, 
says this, Samson, uh, sometime later, Samson fell in love with a woman of the valley of Sorek, and her name was, say it with me, Delilah. We know about Delilah, right? Delilah. So again, Samson, like he's got all this purpose, and he's got all this identity, and yet he throws it all away. He's willing to risk it all for this one woman. And she's a Philistine. The very people that God had put him on the planet to deliver Israel from, he's literally in bed with the enemy. And he's willing to throw all this stuff away in order to have this relationship. So he wanted to be the deliverer. But he also wanted to be wanted what he wanted. And he chose the wife by his own. Cost him his personhood, cost him his identity. So his stubborn refusal to follow God cost him his personhood, cost him his identity. It cost him his self-worth, but it cost him something else. And I want to just read this. It says, and then she said to him, how can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is Delilah speaking. This is the third time you have made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was sick to death of it. So he told her everything. Nobody say amen right here. You know why people nag? Because it works. (laughs) That's not promoting it. I'm just saying. It sort of has an effect. So... This is the beginning of the end for Samson. Because two other times he had told her, she's like begging him, tell me how you're so strong, tell me why you're so strong. And he told her a lie, and so she acts on that and tries to take away the thing he said that made him strong, and she brings in the Philistines, and he defeats him. So a couple times now, he's had a trial run, and both times she's betrayed him to the Philistines, and so she's asking him the third time, and you think, how dumb is Samson? How stupid is this guy? Like, you know the whole saying, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. There is no saying for the third time. (laughs) Listen, Samson wasn't that dumb. He knew exactly what was happening. He knew exactly what he was risking. And he knew exactly what Delilah was going to do with the knowledge that he had given her. And he was willing to risk it all, his purpose, his identity, uh, everything that God had called See, rationally, we think, that's so stupid. Of course, I shouldn't choose that. But when we let an idol into our life, sometimes we don't know it's happened, and the desires of our heart, are we're no longer functioning in a rational realm, and our emotions get the best of it because we want something that we think is going to satisfy us. We go with it even though we know it's the wrong decision. Put the, put the stand back up there. When you and I want someone's approval, when it's at the top, it'll, it'll, it'll cause us to do some really dumb things, make some really bad choices, cause regrets in our life. And that's what Samson does. He tells her the real reason for his strength. He says, man, if you cut my hair, it's all over. See, the idol of relationships will cost you your purpose. It'll cost you your purpose. Do you agree with that? 
I mean, Samson's basically giving up. Like, I'm supposed to be the deliverer and I'm supposed to do all this. But look, cut my hair. I'll risk it all. Can I tell you, over the years of pastoring for a couple decades now, I have seen this happen both ways. Someone who genuinely loves God and wants to follow him and wants to grow in their relationship and wants to be used by God and then they fall into the wrong crowd. They, they marry the wrong person or they, they run with the wrong friends or they get in the wrong situation and that pulls them. Even though they love God, it pulls them away from their identity and their purpose. Long, I've seen the opposite happen. When people who are starving to belong and starving to be a part of something special and they want to know God and they, and they find a community and a church and in a small group where they belong and they can grow and they're safe and they're accepted and they're loved and they're forgiven and they just thrive. They, they just be, blossom and become something beautiful. So... Uh, Almost a year ago, uh, the, the soccer coach asked, uh, asked my wife and I if we would host a little get-together, a little cookout for the soccer team, Shea soccer team. And so we said, sure, we'd be glad to host it. And uh, they came over, and there's about a dozen teenage girls in my house, which was awesome. I mean, they were sweet. But, but pretty soon, even though it was drizzling outside, me and the coach and the assistant coach are out by the bonfire by ourselves in the rain. If that tells you anything, okay? I'm just saying. That's where we ended up, true story. And we're standing around the fire pit and the, the, the young coach, the assistant coach is a young guy and he, went, he wasn't married. And, and so we just started talking about the importance of who you marry and you know, finding the right person and, and just how important that is. And I made the statement, I said, it is the second most important decision you could ever make in your life. And then I waited and he took the bait. He said, well, what's the most important decision? I said, man, it is surrendering your life to the God who loves you and receiving Jesus Christ into your life as the leader of your life and the forgiver of your sins because he loves you and God longs to have a relationship with you. That is the most important decision anyone could ever make. And we're gonna get to that in just a second. If that's a decision you need to make today where God finally becomes a reality in your life, he's longing to do so. But before we do that, I want you to know about this second decision. The second most important decision is who you will decide to surround yourself with. The spouse you choose, the friends you choose, the people you choose to run with, you will become like the top five or 10 people you spend the most time with. If you want to know where your life is heading, just look at the people you surround yourself with. It is almost impossible to resist that kind of influence. And so that's why God says you need to surround yourself with the right people. You become like the people you hang around, right? Some might even say that you begin to look like the people you hang around. You ever seen that couple, right? They've been married like 60 years and you like swear they're brother and sister. <laughs> You're like, wow, look at that. Right? Some people say you even begin to look like your, your pet. That's, that's kind of creepy, right? Like, <laughs> that's a little unnatural, but there you go. By the way, is there anything more ugly in the planet than a bulldog? <laughs> oh, the air sucked out of the room. That was great. Y'all are going to 
Curb stomp Georgia Tech in football. I understand that. I just, one quick, one quick zinger, okay? I had a, I, that makes me feel better. <laughs> I believe there's a prominent idol when it comes to relationships in, in, in many Christian homes. And I don't say this lightly because this is something I've had to wrestle with as an idol in my life. And it's the idol of family. Because we say God comes first and then family and then everything else. And I think we mean that and want to live by that order. But oftentimes we see our actions don't actually line up with that reality. It, it becomes an idol. Where you put the well-being of your kids before the, the, the calling of God. You put the well-being of your family ahead of what God says is right and true according to what he says, not my way but his way. So I just want you to hear it from the lips of Jesus himself. Look at what he says. This is from Luke chapter 9. He says, he says to another man, follow me. Just like he says to you, follow me. Just like he says to me, follow me. He's always saying, hey, come follow me and walk with me and be with me and, and enjoy me and, and obey me. But the man replied, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the bear, dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. So that sounds harsh. The reality is that man's father wasn't dead yet. They, they didn't wait to bury people. They, they got stinky quick. Like He was like, my dad might be getting sick or someday he might die and I just kind of need to hang around. He's making an excuse. He's like, listen, I got to put my dad ahead. I know you're calling me Jesus and I know this is kingdom of God stuff and really important, but my dad, I got I to gotta worry about my dad first. 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 Still another said, I'll follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service of the kingdom of God. He says, you got a choice. He said, there's a pecking order of our love. Are we called to love our family and to love other people and to love our enemy and love everybody? Absolutely. God says, listen, we are to be people known by our love. We are to be people, people oozing with love. Absolutely, you should love those people. But there's a pecking order to it. There's a, there's a gold, silver, and bronze associated with this. And he's saying, listen, you've got a goal that shouldn't be gold. You got someone else at first that, that doesn't need to be first. You can't follow me second. You have to follow me what, guys? First. You got to love me first. And then Jesus says it really plain in uh, Luke 14. He says, well, large crowds were following and traveling with Jesus, and he turned to them, and he said this, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, Yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. So you telling me Jesus really wants me to hate my family? No, he's not telling you that. He wants you to love your family. He wants you to love everybody. But 
He's making a point by hyperbole. He's making a point by exaggeration. And this is what first, and you love your family and you love your neighbor and you love your enemy, but you love God first and you love God in such a way that his love, because he first loved you and he loved you unconditionally and he he laid down his life in love for you and he's doing all these things for you. He's demonstrated his love through his son, Jesus Christ. And because he so loved you, your love for God so far surpasses your love for someone else And in comparison to the the love that you have for God, the love that you have for other people looks like hate. That's how you know you don't have the idol of relationships in your life is when your love for God surpasses everyone else's love you have for them. The Lord led me to ask a few questions, and these are super convicting for me too. I'm just going to read them to you. This might challenge your heart a little bit. Are you looking forward to heaven so you can reunite with a loved one or so that you can see the God who loves you like no one else? Could something happen to your family or in your family that would cause you to push away and turn your back on God? Do you worry more about pleasing God or about pleasing your family? You know what God's saying? There's only one person that gets first place. There is one priorities. There is one to be worshiped above anything else to be worshiped. There's no person that you can know. There's no group you can belong to that will satisfy you like the love that is found in God through his son, Jesus Christ. So seek him first. Put him first. Maybe this morning you're thinking, man, I have made an idol of a relationship. What do I do? My comparison to others, when I compare it to God, it doesn't, it doesn't look like that. I'm, I'm kind of jumbled up in my priorities and love. What do I do? Maybe you're thinking, man, I'm, I'm riding the fence, whether it's relationships or some other idol. There's, I keep going to God and then back to this and then to God and back to this. What do I do? Can I tell you what the answer isn't? It isn't trying to love those other things less. You know what it is? It's about loving God more. It's about recapturing or finding the love that is found in a God who loves you at your worst, in your darkest moment, with your most evil thoughts, with the the most horrible thing you've ever done. He says, I love you. I still love you. I'm going to love you. I'll forever love you. And I'll love you like no one else. And that his love for you so so overwhelms your heart that you can't help but love him in such a way that he takes first. And it's not even close. So why don't you bow your heads and let's pray together. So Father... You have wired every single one of us to worship something, anything else, first place. We love something more than anything else. 
The question on the floor this morning is what is it? Is it something? Is it someone? Or is it you? And this morning, really, maybe for the first time, someone in here is recognizing that God himself, you, God, need to take that place. Maybe for the first time, they, re- they recognize that are these other things that have been trying to satisfy me and have been trying to find my identity in, they have fallen short time and again. And today, I recognize that only God can satisfy If that's you this morning, you can turn to the living God. If you'll turn from your sin and recognize that your rebellion to want to do things your own way, just like Samson had, we have, that you have. And that this this beautiful God named Jesus came upon earth. He died upon the cross and he took your sin and he took the penalty for your rebellion and he paid for it in full on a cross so you could be forgiven. And he rose from the dead so that you can have life. And this morning, your decision to put God first is simply Jesus and make this your prayer. Jesus, I'm turning to you. And I'm turning from the things I've trusted in and longed for, and I'm putting you first. Just like Joshua, just like um, Eileen, I want you to be first in my life on that. And I invite you into my life as the leader and the forgiver of my life. And Lord, I pray for your people. We may be coming to you for the hundredth time and saying, God, I've let something else slip in. I've let something else sneak into first place. I didn't even realize that it had happened, but God, I want you to come back to first in my life, that I love you first. think, well, maybe God's tired of me praying that and saying that. I can promise you he isn't. He says, you put me first today. You remember my love for you. You elevate me back to where I belong. The satisfier and lover of your soul. It's found in him. And so, Father, we want to proclaim you is the only one who belongs in the rightful place, the first place of our hearts. We love you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.